so glad to have you here celebrating Easter, uh, a moment in history that we remember, the most significant moment of all history, a, a moment that changed everything and extends an opportunity and a promise that God can change anything and anyone and that he is for us and not against us, all because of an empty tomb. It's empty. You start thinking about that word, empty, and in so much of our cultural context, empty is not a good thing. If we struggle to have effect in our cultural context, full is far greater than empty. And so many people search after full and they try to fill their lives with so many things because empty is to be avoided at all costs because empty is never associated with anything good. It's usually almost always bad. So like tomorrow morning, Monday, it'll come for you. It will be here soon. You'll pull up to a place to get this golden nectar called coffee that the Lord has so richly blessed our planet with, and you're going to be handed that, and like a little bit of joy is going to enter your heart before the coffee ever gets there. And internally, the little you is going to be doing cartwheels, so excited about that sip, because your coffee is what breathes life into you on a Monday morning. What if your barista forgets to fill it up and it's empty? Bad news. Bad news. Think about the emotions that will flood your mind. The disappointment, the discouragement, because empty is never associated with anything necessarily good until it was. Zarek. <laughs> 
He's not here. He's risen. And suddenly this word that, that meant something bad actually became very life-giving. And it totally flipped. And it completely switched and, and became redeemed. And now empty is really what we gather to celebrate tonight. And what we gather to celebrate around Easter is that that empty tomb now offers an opportunity for us to have a full life with God. That we didn't have it before. We couldn't try to get it before. And now the opportunity exists and it's presented. That you and I could have a full life with God because of an empty tomb. So much of emptiness in our culture is just all around this whole idea of trying to fill your life with experiences and opportunities and, and uh, events and chasing after so much that we chase after, but yet there's still this hollowness and this emptiness that exists after and this void that is there. And yet what we celebrate in Easter is this emptiness of a tomb actually fills our life with a significance and a hope that we cannot get from things or experiences or even other relationships, that we can now know God, not just opinions about God, but we could truly see him and be fully known by him and fully know him, that Easter helps us correct inaccurate views or misinterpretations of what God is really like and invites us to see Jesus. Because when you see Jesus, you see God. That's the hope that we have. That's what's presented to us in Easter. It's given an opportunity for us to have a relationship with God, not a relationship that we try to manufacture or we try to create or we try to nurture, but one that says the Savior of all mankind came and searched for you and for me and that his search was successful. And he looks after, he came on a search and rescue mission for you and for me. And now he stands at the door of every human heart, every human life, and knocks and says, will you let me in? Will, can I be a part? Would you link your life with mine? See, the empty tomb offers us an invitation to now find a full life in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And so on Easter, something, uh, Easter Sunday, something got released that has yet to be extended. It's fascinating to me that the hope and love of God released in Jesus and his resurrection, that one of the, the aspects of Christianity that sets it apart from every other faith movement on the planet is that we are tied uniquely to one particular event that happened in one moment of time on one day in history. That's our anchor point, and it's to an empty tomb, to a risen Savior. No other faith movement has that on the planet ever, anywhere. This is the only one who ties it to a person and to an event that happened. See, what's interesting is you study about the disciples. All four Gospels give a very uh, unfortunate look at the disciples at the end. Um, when Jesus is crucified, and we were here Friday having some worship stations, and many of you were here for that. It was moving, significant. What, what you didn't see is his best friends. What you didn't see is his disciples gathered around him in the end. They all scattered and left. They were kind of put in unflattering portraits of what happened when he was crucified. The disciples were disheartened. They were dismayed. They were disillusioned. They were dispirited. And then suddenly, they weren't. How do you explain that? How do you explain the, the total dismay upon them? The movement is over in their mind. 
until it wasn't. And Jesus says, no, no, the movement's actually just getting warmed up. And that's what we celebrate for the last 2,000 years, is that was the launching point, not the ending point. It was the beginning of the mission of the church. There one day there was no church, the next day there was. That's how we started. That's how this whole movement began, back to one particular moment and one particular day. The resurrection changed everything. It impacted all of history. In fact, there's a a Yale historian, Dr. Uh, Pelican, who wrote this, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, speaking about Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth had been the most dominant figure in the history of Western culture for the last 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of all of history every scrap piece of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would actually be left? That Jesus impacted all of society. How society looked at children, how society looked at women, how society looked at healthcare, how society did anything was impacted by Jesus. Not because of his teachings, those were important, but his teachings had merit because he came back from the dead. His teachings mattered because he got up out of a grave. So that's why you listen to them. You don't need to listen to anybody else. You don't need to listen to even me. But because Jesus got up. In fact, if you want a book to look at, John Ortberg wrote a book called Who Is This Man? And even if you're on a faith journey and you're, trying to, you're sitting here going, I don't know if I buy all this stuff, fine, read it. You're just going to see the impact of Jesus upon history over the last 20 centuries and the impact and ripple effect that his life had and is still having because of one particular moment and one particular day that all of Christianity is hinged to, the day he got up out of a grave. That's crazy. And it's so improbable and impossible, and yet God majors in impossible. Because history changed everything. A risen Savior changed everything, and it extends an invitation to us that God can change anything, even in your life and in mine. That he is possible and improbable. So who is this Jesus? It's an interesting question. One, I think, that bears an invitation for all of us to wrestle with. For some of us, we've maybe wrestled with that for a while, trying to get our mind and heart around, and we've kind of surrendered our life to Jesus. For some of you, maybe just kind of coming back to church or someone invited you and promised you dinner. I hope they take it to a really good place. Um, But maybe you're just investigating who this Jesus is, and I want to tell you I'm so proud of you for being here. I'm so proud of you for investigating that. I believe that is the greatest question you could search after. Who is this Jesus? In fact, Jesus asked his disciples that very question. Back in Matthew chapter 16, here's a little conversation he's having with his disciples. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? Like, what's the rumor mill out there? What's the reputation? What's the rep? What's my street cred out there? What are people saying? Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets that have come back. And then Jesus kind of turns the table and he gets personal. But who do you say I am? The question of the century, who do you 
say I am. And Peter speaks up. You are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. God loves to reveal his son to people. And Jesus knocks on the heart and the life of everyone with that question, who do you say I am? See, what Easter declares is that a relationship is possible now with God. Easter declares that with us, that knowing God, is, he is now knowable and a relationship with him is now possible. That's what Easter declares. Now, some struggle with that. How do I get my mind around that? How, I just don't feel like that could be possible. See, for some people, I think their misconception or their concept of, of this whole idea of relating with God and how do I relate with him and is that even possible to relate with the creator of all things? And for some people, they feel like they've got this barrier, this barricade, that for some way, shape, or form, this barricade has been placed in front of them just because of who they are. That because of who they are, they feel like there is something that is blocking them from knowing God. That it's just because of either the socioeconomic sector that they are in in life or it's just who they are as a, as a person, maybe their background, who they have been, what their family has been, that they feel like there is something that is blocking them from knowing the creator of all things. That how do I know God? I, I can't figure out a way to get there. And it just doesn't seem like it's possible for me. It may be possible for other people, but it's just not possible for me. I don't see it in the cards, and they feel like God is inaccessible, that he's distant, distracted maybe, that there's so much a part of their family background or their situation in life that just who they are, they can't get there. But the truth is, friends, that's a lie. The truth is, Jesus said he made a way. In fact, he said, I'm the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you want to know the Father, well, from now on, you know him and you've seen him. If you want to know what God the Father's really like, look at Jesus, because he's God. And I know this is the mystery of the Trinity, and I don't have time to unpack all that, but I would love to have coffee with you to talk about that if that's something that you're wrestling with. But the truth is, there is no barricade that keeps you from having a relationship with God. For other people, they feel like they've gotten trapped into the spiritual ladder. And so they've got this ladder that kind of, well, I guess God might be knowable, but I've got to work really hard. And in fact, he's so holy and he's so perfect and he's so good and, and man, I'm not. And so surely he wouldn't come all the way to me. I've got to meet him halfway or I've got to, I've got to get there. And so they begin climbing this spiritual ladder to say, I've got to do good deeds. In fact, I've got to do more good deeds than bad deeds. And so they have this scale they carry around in life, in their mind, in their heart of, oh, gosh, you know, today was a bad day. I'm going to have to make up for that tomorrow. And, or I can't love that neighbor, but I love these other two. And so it just, I'm going to work on this and try to balance out the scales and I'm going to try to work my way there. And surely at the end of life, I will have climbed high enough 
And I will have done enough stuff that God will look at me and he will say, you're awesome. Come on in. I'm looking forward to hanging out with you. But here's the problem with that. The chasm between a perfect and holy God and me, insert your own name there, it's far too great, friend. The gap is not a store. (laughs) The gap is vast. And you can't get there. And you're not going to be able to climb the ladder high enough to get to him. And so the truth is, he's not asking you to climb. He's not asking you to work your way to a relationship with him. In fact, Paul writes, it's by grace that we've been saved, through faith. This isn't from yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not by your effort. It's a gift of God who says, I've sent my son. I want you to know him. It's right here. All you have to do is take it. It's not by work so that we can't boast about it. Oh, I climbed higher than so-and-so. I climbed higher than so-and-so. So what? You don't need to climb. Stop it. It's not about trying to climb your way to God. It's recognizing that Jesus climbed his way to you and that he came and that you can have life through faith in him. Uh, For other people, it's like they travel through life with a trash can. Man, I I would really love to know God. I'd love to be in a relationship, but I've just, I can't bring this with me. And I've got so much junk and so much hurt hurt I've done to other people, hurt that's been done to me, and it's, it's what I have that separates me from God. I, I, I would love to be in his presence, but the reality is I, I don't think God actually wants me because of this. I don't think I'd be welcomed into his presence and to be related and connected and in friendship with him because of, because of this, and I can't seem to get rid of it. And so, I don't think I'm welcomed into God's presence. That there's something that this marks your life, the hurt that you've done to others, the hurt that's been done to you. Maybe the habits or so that keep you away from. And you feel like, I've got too much. I'm too messy for God. And friends, that's just a flat-out lie. The the truth of the scripture is that your mess doesn't scare God. He doesn't look at the junk of your life or the mess that you carry around and look at that and go, oh, whoa, off limits. No touchy. No, that's the whole point of Jesus coming. Second Corinthians, Paul writes this, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are not blocked off from God. We don't have to try to climb our way to God, and we are not too messy for God. 
The reality is that Jesus searched us out and the empty tomb proves that he's still searching today for people. That it's not about us searching out for God, it's Jesus came and searched us out. It's not about us trying to work our way to God, it's Jesus worked his way to us. It's not about us being too broken or too messy for him, it's Jesus came to help and to heal and to renew and to meet us in our mess. The truth is, it's Revelation 3.20. When Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone would open, I would come in and eat with them and them with me in a Hebrew sense and an understanding that this is a way of connection. This is a way of being permanently connected together. Meals back then lasted four or five hours. We're not talking fast food here. This is highly relational language. As Jesus himself says, here I am. I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone would open up their heart, open up their life, I will come in. And I will hang with them and them with me. And we will commune together forever. That's the truth. You're not blocked off from God. You don't got to work your way there. Your trash, he's really good at getting rid of that. He just stands and knocks. This is about a life of connection. If, if there were a thousand steps of separation between you and God, Jesus would take 999. And he'd leave the last step for you. Because Jesus doesn't force himself on anybody. He just continually knocks. If you'll open the door. I love what A.W. Tozer writes. He says, God waits to be wanted. That's a beautiful picture of Jesus. That he came on a search and rescue mission for us and he knocks at every human heart and says, I'm waiting to be wanted. And here's what we've been praying for, is that for some of you, you would hear that knock. For all of us, we would hear that knock. Because here's the truth. There's some of you who are sitting here today who you bought into one of these lies. And you've lived your life that way. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to live your life that way. Because of Easter, because of an empty tomb where Jesus got up so that he could search for you. And he's knocking on the heart of your life today. Will you open it? See, no one has conversations through the door, right? Maybe when you're mad at your teenagers and their door is shut, you have a little bit of small conversation, but no one has intimate relational connection with anyone through a door. You either open the door or you don't. When people come to your door to sell you stuff, you're either home or not home, and you hear them knocking. You don't have a conversation through the door, and so the choice really is ours. Jesus knocks, and Jesus waits doesn't force himself, but he keeps knocking. And, and for some of you, maybe he's knocking on your heart tonight, and he's saying, would you just let me in? You've been trying life on your own for so long, 
and you have bought into some of these lies, and you don't have to. And so I'm here. In fact, I got back up so I would make sure that you knew I was coming for you. And for some of you, you maybe been around spiritual things for a while. You've been around church. You've been around Jesus and investigating, but you've kept him at arm's length. In fact, you've kept him on the other side of the door. And you just haven't opened it yet. And maybe tonight is the night where you need to say yes to Jesus. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If you will open up your heart, open up your life to me, I will come in and I'll eat with you and commune with you and we'll have a relationship today and every day moving on into eternity, forever, permanently connected to a relationship with God. And for some of you, you need to say yes to that. For others of us, we maybe have said yes a while ago and it was awesome. And we've got Jesus traveling life with us but the reality is in the inner part of our life, we still got some doors that we've shut off and they're under lock and key and we've said, Jesus, you got all my life except that door. My resources, no, you can't manage that. My, my relationships, no, no, that's mine. You can have the other stuff, but this is the one that I'm, I'm gonna guard. I, I got this. My my joy in what I tried to do, my career, you fill in the blank of what that is, but you've got a door under lock and key, and Jesus is knocking on your heart tonight. Hey, are you tired of managing that on your own? See, Jesus didn't go to the cross to forgive you of your sins and rise again so he could be your life coach and give you advice from time to time. Jesus did all that for you and for me so that when, we not, when he knocks, we go, yeah, that door too. You can have it all, full access. And for some of you, you haven't given full access. And so maybe tonight is a night. The band's gonna come back up. We're gonna worship in a song here. And the challenge is really simple. I believe Jesus is knocking on your heart. I believe that he's been knocking for a while. And for some of you, it's to stop playing a religious game and trying to figure out a way to work your way to God or to stop feeling like you're isolated away from him or to to say, I've got too much junk, God can't fix it all. No, no. God did the impossible a guy who was dead for three days, Jesus, got back up. That doesn't happen. It hasn't happened to any of your family members. It hasn't happened to any of your friends. It hasn't happened in 2,000 years to anyone that you know. And Jesus knocks. And he says, if you're tired of living life on your own terms, in your own ways, I've got life for you. I've come that you may have life and life to the full. But it starts with answering the door. It starts with saying yes for the first time. Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you. I need forgiveness of my sins. I need leadership in my life. And for some of you sitting here, tonight's your night. And so here's the invitation. As we sing this song, I'm going to stand right here. I would love to celebrate with you of you saying yes to Jesus. How do you do that? Here's how you do it. It's real simple. 
Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need life. I need you. And you just say that. There isn't a secret prayer that you pray. This is about a posture of your heart. For the rest of us, Jesus is still knocking. It's some of the inner doors that you've got under lock and key. Maybe occasionally you crack it open, he begins to walk in, you slam it shut again. No, 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 I was just kidding. And he's got work to do, some transformation, some change to do in your life. And tonight is the night you need to say yes to that. So the invitation for you is that somewhere in this song, when you're ready to say yes to that, Jesus is knocking on your heart, you're just going to stand. And that's signifying. Jesus, I'm all in. You can have full access. The best I know how. I need your help, your leadership, your transformation in my life. So if you're saying yes to Jesus, you're going to walk down front and see me. I want to pray for you. I want to celebrate with you. If you're saying yes to Jesus to open up those inner doors, you're just standing and saying yes to him. Jesus, you got full access. I don't even know what all that means yet, but I want you to have it because of what you did for me. And so, Father, I just pray as we sing, as we worship, that we would hear you knocking. And we'd say yes. Each one of us in the step we've got to take, maybe some for the first step, some for the next step. Our whole mission of our church is inviting people into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. And that's about first steps and next steps. So Holy Spirit, would you stir our hearts as we say yes to you tonight.